And I came in early this morning. God, I hate these lights. And walked out and was in my office talking to Wade about what I was going to preach on today. And he said, you know, he's got a verse for everything. And he's wrong time every time. He said, brother, they're singing the song in there right now. So I walk in here and hear that song. And whew, I mean, I've got to tell something funny just so I can get my senses back. Um, I've got a couple of things to announce. One is minor and one is major. But I've always wanted to say this, and I've got to. But two things I always want to say. I go in bathrooms. I'm a, not a clean freak, but I like clean stuff. And I've noticed something, and I noticed it this morning. Um, when you go in the bathroom, you do your thing. I don't know what happens in the girls' bathroom, y'all. That thing probably goes forever that way. I don't know. But when you're done doing what you're doing and you wash your hands and they go right for that handle, I just I cringe. I just cringe. So I've got everybody here. Not everybody washes their hands, guys, right? But today I was reminded I walked in there and I told him I was going to turn him in and I got him. I even got permission to turn him in. David Robinson. <laughs> He's in the bathroom. He washes his hands. Now I got to give him credit. And I was watching him and I said, oh, there he is. He got, he went for that handle and I'm screaming inside. No, God, don't do it. He grabs the handle. Then he goes outside and he gets the alcohol stuff. I said, went out and I told him, I said, I'm going to use you, your illustration today. So I did have permission. But the second announcement that I want to stick with, and the first one I want you to stick with, because next time you go in the bathroom and you see that handle, you're going to go, because that's the dirtiest thing in the bathroom. I've been caught in the uh, Weagles, Weagles, where Rachel works, and I've been in that bathroom waiting for somebody to come in that thing so I can get out. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know if Rachel knows this. Where are you at, Rachel? She's up top. She's up. Y'all have a hole in the boys' bathroom up top. It's rusted out. Yeah, see, don't fix it because I have to reach up there and pull that door open because I'm not touching the handle. Not. I won't touch it. They make these things you can open up with your foot, so. But I will. I'll sit in there 30 minutes. So wait for somebody to come in and I'm, I'm out. I slide through the door. But I want to be remembered today by another thing. The most important thing is, it's what we've sung about. And God has conquered it all. Amen. Right? God is a glorious God. And... His name needs to be praised not only here, but throughout the world, throughout the nations. Everybody needs to hear that. He conquered it all. God sent his only begotten son to rescue us. Okay? Not particularly because we're bad people, because we're lost people. Without Christ, we are lost. Okay? The bad news is this. That's the good news. Most good news comes with bad news. The bad news is 
There is a God. And it says, appointed to man to die one time, and you will get judged by the Almighty, the one who conquered it all. You will stand before him, and you will answer. That's the bad news. All of us will. I've got an illustration. Mm. Wade walked in on me while I was doing this. I said, Wade, don't, don't say anything. I'm getting ready to preach and you see a pile of rope. <laughs> and I love that man. Where's he at? Um, this is a good representation of our existence on earth. This is eternity. Goes on and on and on for billions and billions and trillions of years. Y'all with me? Here it is. This goes on and on. That, it goes forever. This is your existence in eternity. This is our life right here. Based off eternity. Forever. This mere 70 to 80 years, this is it. You teenagers think you're going to live forever and you're not. This is it. A mere 70, 80, I don't mean the 90 maybe. Oh, goodness gracious, I'm on overtime. No, you're not. You're here for a reason. But we're born here, right here. We work, we work, we work, we work, we work, we work. For that, for that little in there. You save up all your money. You work to get everything in your life to the mere end. Where one day, we all will stand before Almighty God. And we all have a place in eternity. It's either heaven or it's hell. It's either heaven or are eternally separated from God. That's a decision. That's what we work for. And it blows my mind. And I, I got this illustration from Francis Chan. I don't know where he got it from, but I love it. It blows my mind that we work, we put all of our effort into that when all this is out there. Nobody's thinking about eternity. We put everything right here. My work, my marriage, my savings. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? You get to the end of your life. And what Peter says is futile. It's meaningless. This is what matters. Am I right? This is what matters. If I can get you guys to see this instead of just this. We put all of our eggs in one basket. Here. We never get to see the basket. You know it? One of the wisest men, Solomon. And I'm not going to say the book because I can't say the name of it. Anybody say the name? Say it. That's it. 
I was practicing that name last night, and my new daughter, Jaden, said, she comes in this morning and says, Dad, don't mess up saying that word, son. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what I say instead of that. But um, Solomon had it all. He had more money than anybody that we've known today. Okay? I mean, his average salary was billions of dollars a year. All right? He had more wine and alcohol than anybody had. He had more women, thousands of them. He had everything. And he writes a book in God's Bible and says, it's futile. It's not worth it. He said, you're chasing the wrong thing. We're chasing this. He says, it's like chasing the wind. Go out there and catch the wind. You can't catch it. All right? We need to focus our life on this. You with me? God is glorious. You with me? God so loved the world. He conquered it all that he gave. He didn't have to give. His only son. Okay? He gave his only son that whosoever should believe will not perish. That's the end of that red. That's your choice. You have to make today. If you haven't made it today, I'm praying and I've already prayed over every seat in this building that the pride that you walk in here with will be gone. Your pride, your pride was going to send you to hell. I said, God, let them leave it at the door today. Let your work be done in their life. But God, rich in his mercy, sent his son for us. Just like Lazarus. We talked about it this morning. The grave clothes. A lot of you walked in with your grave clothes on today. You're dead in your trespasses. We've all sinned. All right? It says the wages of sin are death. All right? The good news is, if you're a child of God, you'll stand before him. And you'll face God face to face. And Jesus will say, that's mine. She's mine. He's mine. That needs to be told. You don't have to go to hell. You have a choice. That's the charge that I'm going to talk about today. Right? That's the charge in our life. We have something. We have something here. Us born again believers, children of God, we have something that when everybody gets here, we have a choice for. We have the cure for it. Don't we? Do we really believe it? I don't think so. I'm talking, I'm preaching to myself, guys. I've been eat up for weeks. My wife knows. We don't believe it. We don't. If we believe somebody could fall into hell because they rejected God, why aren't we telling them about him? 
Josh and I talked about this months ago, McGuire Road. We don't have to go to Japan or Malawi or name another foreign country, get on an airplane and wear a t-shirt and get all pretty or go to the beach to evangelize. We need to start here. If we can't do it here, God surely ain't going to send you nowhere else. Am I right? So let's get to the charge. Guys, I hate to be direct. Some of you say, you show direct, Chris. I hope it comes across its passion. Um, I don't get many opportunities, so I got to let it out. And if y'all don't like it, that's fine. I don't have to come up here every Sunday. But let's go to Matthew 4. But God. But God, you don't have to go to hell. You can be rescued. But God, right? Here's our charge, Matthew 4. This is Jesus' initial call to his disciples. It says in Matthew 4, Jesus, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. They were fishermen. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once. And they did what? They followed him. Okay? This is bringing others into the kingdom. When you become a follower of Christ, you become fishers of men. It's a word picture here. They were fishermen. He's saying, you're catching fish. I'm going to show you how to catch men. All right? A new vocation if you're a new believer, an old believer. It's our new vocation to win people to the Lord, to increase God's kingdom. That's the only reason we're here. Think about why you're still here. I mean, you teenagers probably have better excuse than the rest of us, but I'm, I'm 56. I was talking to somebody this morning. Kenny, he said, and I loved it. We smiled, didn't we? He said, well, I'm getting 56 or whatever, and I'm, I'm just ready. I'm just, I'm excited about heaven, right? I'm excited. And I, I mean, truthfully, I can't expect a teenager to say I'm excited for heaven. I'm excited about telling you why you don't have to go to hell. Telling you about this Savior. He says, Jesus, you have a new vocation, guys. You come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Now, let's go to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. His initial call was I'll make you fishers of men. His last call is where we're at today. This is his last call. When something, somebody repeats something, you should probably take notice, right? His initial call. Now this, this was at the end, guys. He says, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority. I've conquered it all. 
He said, in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them. Teach these new disciples to obey all commands I've given you. Now, we can stop reading right there, but we need to go on. And he said, be sure of this. I'm with you always. You go do this. I will be with you. Now, I think a lot of us try to do it on our own. But I'm explaining to you today how to do it. And I don't know where this is going to end, but years ago I was, I was real heavy in evangelism and I took some classes and a lot of them just didn't make sense to me. And then I got one and I love it. And I, I did it for a long time and I got busy. Other little G-gods came into my life and I got busy. People are going to hell and I'm sitting there not saying nothing. Nothing. You know? Don't y'all say nothing. I'll just get us not a mess. But me and Julie were out of town last week or whatever. We were in this restaurant with my grandkids and music's blaring and she looks at me and goes, I mean, you couldn't hear yourself think, could you? must have been 500 people in this restaurant and I'm looking she goes look around and they're having drinking marrying having a good time and I said God this can't be all there is it can't be you know that can't be it they're living like that's it see here I'm sitting not saying a word but we fish for people. You know, it's not a suggestion, guys. It's a gift. It's God's great commission. It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. If you are a child of God, if you are a born-again believer, you are commanded to share the gospel. Not just one of us. One of us can't tell all the nations, can we? All right? It takes all of us. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, when I, when, as a new Christian, I always used to think that was the pastor's job. That was the elder's job, the deacon. That's their job. Right? I'm just going to come in here and soak it up. You know? And I learned and learned and learned and learned so I could argue, argue, and argue with other Christians. Didn't I, Julie? I was on Facebook arguing with people. She used to get on me all the time. Stop, stop, bud, stop. I never did. I never won anybody to the Lord like that. You know? It's a, it should be the heartbeat of us. It should be our strongest conviction. And it's, if it is, it should change everything we do about church. Am I right? Am I right? 
It should be our core conviction. We, this should be a fellowship of disciple makers. Not a fellowship. Got me? I think sometimes we become an audience of spectators. I've been there. I'm preaching to myself. Don't come up to me after church and get all mad. I'm preaching to myself, guys, and y'all. I told Josh the other day, I said, that's so convicting, didn't I? I said, this message has convicted me so bad. He said, well, it should. Preach it on. If it doesn't convict me, I shouldn't preach it to you, really. So it should be our heartbeat. But I, man, what I've witnessed over the years is it's, it becomes an audience of spectators. We come in here. I talked about this yesterday with a, a new buddy of mine sitting over there about church. You know, we come in sometimes and well, most of the time. Can y'all see me up there? We come in and we just sit here. Bless me, oh Lord. I hope this music's good today. I hope it's good. Last week, I gave it about a seven last week. I hope it's better than it was last week. Now, week before that, it was a 10. Lord, did you see Mary bring that cake in? She's strutting like she's got the best cake in town. She might have actually do have the best cake in town. <laughs> Wonder what the sermon's going to be on today, Bob. I don't know, but I hope you don't preach about tithing. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. I don't. You see all them young kids going out? You see what that girl was wearing? Shirt up her belly. It's probably the only shirt she had. All right? It's almost like it's American Idol sometimes. We come in here to judge everything. You know? You see Andre's mom over there raising cane? Ooh, it spooked me. You need to get right. Right? <laughs> But that's what it's turned into. And it's a shame. It's, we should be a fellowship of disciple makers. I guarantee you, if we started here on McGuire Road, I'm not saying we need to grow to grow. Okay? We sow for God. You couldn't build a bigger, big enough building here. We're trying to build a building out here now just for our, our youth. You couldn't find a parking. You'd have to. We'd have to go to ten services, and he'd preach every ten of them. He would. Y'all know he would. <laughs> and still, do something after that. But we grow to increase the kingdom. Okay. Here it says, God says, "This is where I'm gonna get some of you mad." Seek. At the beginning, you seek the kingdom of God first. We don't seek ourselves. You seek the kingdom of God first. A lot of you don't know what this rest of it says. Everything you need, I'll give to you, basically. Not stuff you want, stuff you need. I'll give you everything. And I think what I've observed, not only in this church, but other churches as well, 
We come in here pursuing happiness. Me, 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 what can I get? Fill my cup, Lord, run it over. Your cup's running over because you're not sharing. Fill me up, Lord, give me this, give me that, give me that. Pay my bills, help my marriage. You get right with God, your marriage will be right too. What can I get? What can I get? How do we do this? In business, if you want to be successful in business or anything in life, you find somebody that's successful and you study them. Okay? Now, example that just popped in my head, I'm not, it sounds, I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty good at chicken. Barbecue. Not the best. I'm actually technically until next year, I'm second best because I tied for world championship in chicken. I'm second best. But this man over here was cooking beside me. And it's a good example. I discipled him in chicken. Did I not? I went to his, oh, I went to his trailer. I didn't yell it at him. I went to his trailer that day. And he's like, man, I'm struggling here and struggling there. And I said, I, I got the answer. Didn't I? What'd I say? Come on, follow me. I've got the answer. We've got the answer. I could have shut my mouth because a lot of barbecue guys ain't going to tell nobody. Am I right? They get something that's, that's winning, they zip, they shut their mouth. We got a God that's going to rescue us and we're going to shut our mouth. I didn't shut my mouth that day. I went. I got him. I actually went in his trailer, him and his wife. She was taking notes. He said, you don't mind my wife taking some notes, do you? I said, just don't share it with anybody else. That's probably wrong. It's not part of the illustration. <laughs> but... I was discipling this man. I had something that he needed. You did pretty good in chicken that day, dude. Two weeks later, or I don't know how many weeks later, I get a text on my phone. Guess what? He won chicken. Because I showed him what I knew. I showed him what he needed. And today, we're going to show you, I'm going to show you, God's going to show you what you need. And it's up to you whether you respond to it at all. Because you're going to get to the end of that red line. And it's, it's not up to you anymore. Well, how do we do this? How do we do this, Chris? We, I'm going to give you a quote from a guy named Bill Hole. He's wrote some of the greatest books on disciple making. And he made this comment. He said, American churches are filled with pew-filling, sermon-tasting spiritual schizophrenics whose beliefs and behavior aren't, aren't congruent. I had to learn the word too. Congruent. They don't line up. Example, there's a guy in here with a Clemson jersey on. You saw him next week with a roll tide hat on. It, they're not congruent. Okay. You're either one or the other. Congruent with their salvation. 
2 Corinthians 3.18. Pull that up. So all of us, who have had who have had the veil removed when god touches you and saves you the bible says that your veil the scales in your eye you now can see read it you can see now lazarus when he was pulled out of the grave jesus called him and that's what that song today. I didn't tell them to play that song. I, I've never even heard that song. I came out and she's singing that song. And I just lost it. I was in the back room, just a mess. You're dead in your trespasses. He's in his grave. Jesus calls him out. He comes out, right? I talked to pastor this morning. I said he came out. Back in them days, you died. They wrapped you pretty good. I'm talking mouth, everything. People have studied this and proven that if he hadn't unwrapped himself, which he didn't, he would have died of suffocation. Josh looks at me this morning and goes, they, people unwrapped him. They came up and unwrapped him, helped him. That's the gospel, buddy. That's the gospel. When you unwrap somebody so they can see, so they can speak. And a lot of people come in like mummies. They've never taken their bandages off. God has rescued you. If he hasn't, ask him to do it. But how do we do it? How do we do it? You're probably sitting there wondering, man, just get to it. I'll get to it. Do we really believe Robert Coleman said this, Discipling men and women is the priority in which our lives should be oriented. The Great Commission is not a special calling for a few or a gift of the Spirit. It's a command, an obligation upon the whole community. Not me, Pastor. Yes, the whole community of faith. No exceptions. Plumbers, bankers, mechanics, homemakers, with no regard to age, teenagers. You know how many teenagers die a day? A lot. Don't think you've got it made all the way. It's a lifestyle. If you're a born-again Christian, it should be a lifestyle. Everyone involved bringing others to the kingdom. Now, if it's not, if, it's, if you're a believer and it's not a core conviction of yours to see people come to Christ, I would say, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you're out of the will of God if that is not a conviction in your heart to see others come to the kingdom like you have. So, 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul says, Yet preaching the good news... It's not something that I can boast about. I'm compelled. Can you put that up, please? 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He said, I am compelled by God to do it. 
how terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. How terrible of me. Some of you in here know the one of the greatest pastors of all time, Charles Spurgeon. He said, if you don't have a heart to see the lost saved and saved from a, a burning hell into a, the hands of the one who conquered it all, Jesus and rescued, you're probably not saved yourself. That's what he said. I didn't say that. How do we do it? How do we do it? Where do we learn from? You study how they did it. Find out success and you study it. We're going to the book of Acts. This is where it started. Okay? 120. Out of all the stories you read, all the people that came to hear Jesus, okay? all the people that wanted to hear him preach and get healed or ask for something, only 120 or so were there at the end. Does that tell you something? Spectators. Only 120 at the end. But that grew what they say 400 fold. Now, a businessman and I am, I'm seeing they grew that much. How? Now, I'm not talking growth for numbers. I'm talking these were legit born again believers. That's about 50,000 at the end of book Acts. Book, book Acts. Acts. The book of Acts. Sound like somebody else on TV. Um, 50,000, over 50,000. How did they do it? They didn't live a good life in hopes that somebody would see that. You know? I've talked to a lot of people and they say, you just, all you need to do is live a good life, live, live a good life, and somebody's going to see Jesus in you. That's not Scripture. You need to live a good life. We'll get to that in a second, but it's not about the life you live. It's about speaking the name of Jesus. They speak it. Okay? They spoke it in Acts. All right? We have to speak the name of Jesus. There's power in that name. Is it not? You ever, you ever walked up to somebody and you could just tell they've been with Jesus? Let me tell you, I love that kid, Travis. Where's he at? He's been with Jesus. Amen. Pastor, he's been with Jesus. Howard, DJ, you can tell, you can tell when people have been with Jesus. Amen. Can't you just sense it? That says in there that they, that Paul and John, they said, something's weird about these guys, but they've been with Jesus. We could tell. So they're speaking it, speaking it, speaking it. Let's get to it. We go to the manual. If we want to know how to do this, Acts. Acts 4.13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training. You don't need no special training. Don't tell me you got to go to a seminar. How many people in here have grandkids? Whoa, whoa, whoa. How many people in here speak about their grandkids? 
How many, keep your hands raised, if you've ever been to a seminar or special training to learn how to talk about your grandkids? Zero. When you've been with Jesus, you can talk about him. All right? It overflows. From what overflow of the heart comes out of the what? Mouth. In my business, my dad taught me years ago how to read people, body language, what they say, what they do. Don't freak out if you think I'm trying to read you. But I can tell within minutes of talking to you where you've been. It's probably a gift he has too because I've been around him because he deals with brokenness. You can tell where somebody's been. Just let them talk. So, Acts 8.1. These are unschooled, unlearned, ignorant. The Bible says ignorant. Don't you say ignorant? Uneducated men. I feel good about that. Right? We're with them, aren't we? I'm not calling y'all ignorant, but it basically calls them ignoramuses. Unlearned. This is what they did. This was after Stephen was stoned. Acts 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses. Paul. He agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all believers, except the apostles, they were scattered. What did they do? Now you say, well, the apostles' job was to build this church. No. All the believers were scattered. What did it say? But the believers who were scattered, what? Preached the good news about Jesus. Normal Christians sharing the gospel. Acts 11, verse 19. Unnamed normal Christians. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered, normal people, just like we have here, during the persecution of Stephen's death, they traveled to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, Syria. They, what? They preach the word. We're all preachers. You just have a different pulpit. Right? But only, they preached it only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Syria began preaching to the Gentiles about Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them. And a large number of these Gentiles, they believed and they what? They turned to the Lord. They repented. They came to the Lord. They were going somewhere else. We hear that word repent, believe, repent, and believe, believe and repent all through the books, book of Acts. John the Baptist comes screaming it. Jesus spoke it. Repent, repent, repent. I looked up the word repent, just kicks and giggles, just to see what the definition of it was. I flip down and it's the Greek word for it. Don't freak out with Greek word. I can't even, well, I can say the word now because I've practiced it 50 times. Teshuva is the Greek word for uh, repent. I called Josh. I said, dude, you need to believe what this means. He said, oh, don't freak him out with no Greek. <laughs> it, it, it means return. In the Greek, return. 
an example that this, this messianic Jew used was the prodigal son. If you don't know the story quickly, the prodigal son left, but to get him to come back, his dad's yelling, Shuba, 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 return. So when repent means return home. Return home. This isn't our home. If you're a child of God, this is not your home. First Peter 1, 17 or 19, I'm not that good. Look it up. Peter says, this isn't your home. If you are a child of God, if you are a born-again Christian, your home is here. You are an alien. I talked to somebody this morning and said, I don't even feel like this is my country anymore because my country's heaven. This is where we belong. We're just passing through here. This is what matters. This is what they were preaching. They were preaching Jesus because it's coming. Let's continue. There's a, there's a group called the Moravians, 18th century. Um, that means the 1700s. They started, they're well known as growing their church through authentic born-again believers. They had a theory that every believer, every new believer is a missionary, is a disciple maker. That was their motto. We are disciple makers. Everybody, not just one of them, everybody at their church. When they left, they probably saw a sign that says, now entering the mission field. We're all disciple makers. They didn't have much money to send people on airplanes and trains to go everywhere. So what they did was they took the gospel to where they worked, to where they lived. They took it to, let's make it modern day, they took it to Burger King. They took it to McDonald's. If they worked at Colgate or where, they took it there. If they were a secretary, they took it there. If they were home and they couldn't get out of the house, they took it there. Just because you're at home, you probably have a cell phone. You can call people you know that don't know Christ. God can use you. So the Moravians, they used them where they were at. And it grew and it grew. It's one of the fastest growing churches ever besides the church of Antioch. It grew. I mean, it just blew up. These were authentic Christians. But their core conviction was, we all are preachers. We are all to share the gospel. So how do we do it? Four components. And I'll get to them and we'll get out of here. It says, therefore, Matthew 28, 19, go make disciples of all nations. Pull that up, please. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to disciple, teach new disciples to obey the commandments I've given you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. Pastor's been talking about grow, sow, go. Let's go with the first one. Just do it. 
Nike commercials, just do it. You, you go, okay? Go to your work. Don't go to your work and throw a cheeseburger at somebody and call them a four-letter word and share Jesus with them. Don't do that. Please don't. A lot of times we don't share the gospel with our friends because they, they know us. They know how evil and wicked we are because we show it to them. Don't do that. But go. Make. That's where we're landing today. We're, we want to know how to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching. We're not going to talk about baptizing them and teaching them. But, guys, there's some women in this church and men in this church that know the Bible like the back of their hand. And I love talking to them. I'm praying that God will humble you to have a heart to teach younger believers God's laws because that's what it's telling us to do. Teach them. I'm not a car guy, but don't talk to me about the muffler, the alternator, the generator, the capacitor, the flux capacitor. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear the 300 prophecies. I don't want to hear this and that. Tell me I need the car. Tell, sell me on the car. I need the car. Tell me why I need the car. People don't think they don't need Jesus because they're not told why they need Jesus. You need a Savior. I don't need a savior. I got 60 bucks in my pocket. I got three meals, got a nice car. So I'm doing okay. My dog's fine. My wife's, we argue sometimes. We're pretty cool though. We got it, we got it made. That's Satan telling you that, but we'll get to that in a second. Go. Just do it. Now make. Here's where we go. Make disciples. Teaching Jesus. Before that, you can't teach Jesus to somebody that isn't saved. They don't know it. You can't disciple a lost person. I think that's where we get it wrong sometimes. We do it wrong. You're trying to tell me about a car I don't even know about. You're trying to disciple somebody that's never even been saved. They don't even realize they need a Savior, and you're going over the plagues of Egypt with them. You know, I don't... I don't need that. They need to know they have a Savior. They need to know they need saved because they're lost, because they've sinned. We've all sinned. It looks different for most of us, but we've all sinned, and you, lady, you, man, you, kid, you need a Savior. That's what it's saying. You'll stand before God, you need a Savior. That's not what we're doing, though. We're telling them how much God loves them and, and you can come in here, you can get this and that and the other. But if you don't get the character of God first when you're, when you're speaking the gospel, you've got it all wrong. God loved the world so much, he gave it. Oh. Wishing that no one would. We're scared to see that word perish. Oh Lord, don't scare him. You shouldn't go to heaven because you're scared of hell. You should go to heaven because you want to be with the Lord. The one that's following you. The one that you're following. So how do we make them? We preach it with our mouth. 
we must reflect the first one here we have to when we start and after this is all over I've got a it's not a seminar it's not a class but I've got ways to teach you how to share the gospel with the smartest man in the room in five minutes your job is not to save them. Your job is to preach the gospel. All through the book of Acts, it never says save them. It says you preach the word. You preach Jesus because there's power. Isn't it? Am I right? There's power in that name. When they need a savior, all you got to do is plant the seed. Maybe somebody else at another church down the road is going to water it and maybe they'll get it. But we got to start with the character of God. We get it wrong, we're done. We've sinned, we've fallen short. Acts 2.40, Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. God is a just God. That word just means he's fair. He's a gentleman. He'll knock at your door, but he's not going to knock it down. That handle was on the other side of that door. Right? He's patient, as we've seen in Lazarus. But he's, gonna knock, he's not going to knock your door down and make you be his child. We have to explain the simpleness of men. All men are, have sinned. All women have sinned. It's not a, some psych, psychological feeling of guilt that we get at church. It's a true moral guilt. We have to get the sufficiency of Christ. He's enough. Jesus is all we need. We teach the sufficiency of Christ. He's enough. Let everyone in Israel know that he's both Lord and Messiah. It's all we need. Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one. No one else. God has given no other name under heaven, which we must be saved. That's it. The sufficiency of Christ. And last, the necessity of faith. We must repent and believe. Romans 1.8, 118. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness, their sins. They know the truth. You know it because he's made it obvious to you. God's made this obvious for ever since the world was created. People have seen the earth and the sky through everything God has made. His divine nature. They have no excuse. You have no excuse. The necessity of faith. You have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they didn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. When you get into sin, you'll start thinking, you'll start making this little God that serves your, your sin. That's what they're saying here. And I'm going to give you a, a, a heads up on That's a dire warning that your conscience is being seared, that nothing's going to bother you anymore. 
We are not just sharing information. We are extending an invitation for them to turn to Christ. Their eternity is, is, is at stake. It is the urgency of, of our faith. Time is coming. Number five, the urgency of faith. Last one. Time is coming. 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. Time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires. The red on that rope, you're following your own desires. You will look for teachers who will let you, who will, will let them, whatever their itching ears want to hear. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work. Here we go. Work at telling others. You don't know how to do it? Work at it. I'll help you. I don't know what Josh is going to do with this, but we may make an announcement. I'll help you work on that. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given to you. The urgency of faith. 2 Corinthians 6 1 today. It's the day of salvation. Don't wait. Because none of, none of us are, are guaranteed tomorrow. If you've got breath in your lungs right now, you thank God for that. He conquered death. It says Revelations 3.20. It says, I, look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice. Some of you have heard God's voice today. Prick your conscience that He gave you. Some of you have heard, I may not be saved. I need to get this right. I'm not going to ask you to bow your head or anything. Some of you are convicted. If, you, if your core conviction, if you're a believer in Christ, is not to preach the gospel to others, to keep it to yourself, you should be convicted of that. And if God's convicted you of that, you've heard his voice today. He's at the door for some of you today, and he's knocking. And all you got to do is turn the door and follow him. And some of you won't. And that's the free will that you have. Some of you will walk right out of here because there's a sin in your life you don't want to give up. There's a devil right now telling you you don't have to do it. You're cool. You're fine. But don't come to God because you're the, a sin, there's a sin in your life. I've learned over the years you can't clean yourself up. God will clean you up. In His sanctity, sanctification, He will clean you up. Right, DJ? He will clean you up. Knocking at the door. In closing. You can't save yourself. I want to tell you guys something. God so loved the world. He didn't send a prayer. 
Prayer's not going to save you. He didn't send a baptism fool. That's not going to save you. You know? He didn't send church attendance. That's not going to save you. He sent his son for us to follow. That's the only thing that's going to save us, guys. Scripture says that he sent his son. We have to deny ourselves. Hey, we have to take up his cross, which means it's battle. John 1.10, he came into the very world he created. God came here as flesh, but the world didn't recognize him. I'm praying today that you'll recognize who this Jesus is. He came to his own people, and they even rejected him, but to all who believed. When you believe, all who believed him and accepted him, he gave. He gave the right for you. Are you reading it? Is it up there? He gave the right some versions say the power to say I'm a child of God. The right and the power to say I'm a child of God. To adopt you. For you now to say he's my father. Okay? The first love is the only love that he'll accept. God won't accept any other. You must be, he must be your first love. And you say, oh, well, what, a, what about my wife? You get right with God, your marriage, your wife would be fine. I think that's a lot of problems we have. There's too many born-again wives, not enough born-again husbands. We got to take that back, guys. There's some followers in here today. I've been where you at. Your pride's telling you, don't do it. I ain't doing it. And I'm not going to talk you into it. Because I don't want to I don't want to create a false convert. I don't want to give you a false sense that you're safe. But if God's talking to you to give you the power to call yourself a child of God, because not, not everybody's a child of God. Everybody's created by God, but not everybody's a child of God. So I'm going to ask Pastor Josh to come. And I just want to give an invitation. Um, guys, I'm, we've got to tell people, look, about this. I think we're telling them about this, how they can be better in here. We've got to tell them about this. They don't know about it. If God's convicted your heart like he has convicted mine, it ought to change how we do church here. I've asked God to forgive me of it. I want a heart for the lost. I want to be able to sit beside somebody and just go, you need Jesus, man. And if you can't do nothing but say that, you need Jesus. It says work on it. Right? 
not all, not everybody can talk and, and, and all that. I know he can talk to a stump. I can talk to a tree. There's people in here that talk to anybody. But God's going to convict your heart that you need Jesus or you need Jesus. And at the minimum, tell them about this. I can teach you how to do that. And God says, work on it. But at the minimum, Easter's coming. I'm not saying wait to Easter. But I told Josh the other day, and I, man, I can feel it. Easter's going to be huge. It's going to be huge if you speak the gospel. You've got to go out of here and quit trying to come in here to get something. Take something out. This is a spiritual hospital, and I know people call it a spiritual hospital, but my God, there's a time you've got to check out. Am I right? You've got to check out. You know the cure. We've got the cure. We know, we know eternity. At the minimum, tell somebody, you need a savior. Just come to my church and we'll tell you how to do it. But my biggest plea is this. If you know the Bible, teach it. We should have new beginners classes here. Don't keep it to yourself. I heard somebody say, I'm here to serve Jesus. You want to serve him? Spread the gospel. Teach others. You may be advanced. You may know you've been saved. You know scripture. But it says, teach them. Teach them. Teach them. If you're not teaching and you know it, you're not serving God. You can't keep this to yourself. You can't, you can't keep this to yourself. If God's pricking your heart today to become a child of God, you know what? You'll raise your hand. You'll say, Jesus, you'll profess his name. You'll say, Jesus is my Lord. You can come down here. We'll pray with you. We've got plenty of people here that can pray with you. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. But it's time, it's time to change how we do church, guys. Isn't it? Now your heads close your eyes for a bit. You may hear say, I would love a chance to learn how to better disciple or evangelize or give out the gospel. Um, anybody in here be honest? Let's be honest with this first. How many of you just get scared? So you'll mess it up if you talk. Slip your head up if that's you. Say, I, sometimes I just don't know what to say. How many of you say some? I, I just don't know how. Would you slip your hand up? Like, how do I how do I share the gospel? How many of you would raise your hand and say, I'd love to take a course on how to be a better discipler, evangelizer? Slip your hand up in the air. Come on, that high. Let's see. Right. Come on guys. Let's see. All right. Now here's the thing. Um, this is where we're we're gonna call y'all to action, right? That's that's the next step. And that's what we've been praying for is to get y'all into a place to where, and, and I think his passion came out very real today, if we don't care about where people are spending eternity, there's a good chance our faith isn't real. And, and, and faith doesn't come by works, but it is resulted in works. Because without works, your faith is what? Say it. Dead. There's a lot of dead faith. Andre and I and the youth team, I think it was Wednesday night, right? Am I right? 
David, am I right, Wednesday night? We said we talked because we keep seeing a certain plague of sin that just keeps spreading. We came to this conclusion, and, and, and he said it, and I'm going to echo it. He said, you can't disciple a lost person. You can't disciple a lost person. Am I, am I quoting you right? Because they have to believe first. They have to come to Jesus. We, I've been studying for weeks now, if not months, on salvation, the, the gospel. And the gospel, we, we oftentimes say you need a Savior. But the truth is, there is a Savior. Whether you accept Him or not, there's still a Savior. I was led this week in my devotions to the story of Peter getting out of the boat. If you know that story, throw your hand in the air. You know the story of Peter getting out of the boat. Walking with Jesus. Raise your hand. Come on, answer a question. Come on, y'all can do this, all right? How many of you take your hands down do not know that story? Raise your hand. Anybody not know that story? Okay, all right. Story in the Bible, Jesus is walking across the water. There's a storm going on. I'm going to paraphrase it. The Bible says he would have passed them by because he had already gave them a promise they're going to the other side. Eternity is a promise that God has given us that we could live with him forever. The Savior is the vessel of which God gave us. God, Jesus told him, get in the boat, go to the other side. I'm not going to preach a sermon here, but this got me on salvation. They cry out, and Peter says, if it is you, let me come to you. I'm going to say this. I've always heard it preached that by faith he stepped out of the boats. But here recently, I've been thinking it was his works that got him out of the boat. If it's you, let me walk to you. And the truth is, he wasn't bigger than the storm, and he wasn't able. And so in his effort, he tried. But what happened? He sank. And then he cried as he sank, help. That's a cry. In other words, at some point of his life, he realized, I cannot do this. My works, my belief system in me does not work. And I think today in our church, we need people that realize our belief system in us does not work. And he said, he needs help. help. The Bible says he picked him up. And uh, mute, mute Chris is my He picked him up and, 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 and then walked back to the boat. And it hit me. And this is the thing. Nowhere in the Bible. Come back up here, Chris. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that when you're getting saved, you need to ask for a savior. The Bible clearly states, and this is a bold statement, that when you're getting saved, you need a Lord. And there's a whole different thing in saying, I need a ticket to heaven. Or I need a bailout. There's a whole different mindset that comes into the, I need a controller. I need a ruler. I need somebody taking me by the hand. And the only way I'm walking on this water or navigating this life, the only way I'm making it back to the boat is if Jesus takes me there. And so I can't control my life. So help me. I can't do this. So get me. And now you're Lord. We need a behavioral change in our belief system that says, I'm not just looking at Christ to save my soul. I'm looking at him and declaring him. And that's, that's Romans 10. If you openly declare, if you declare with your mouth that he is what? The Lord. And believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you be saved. And I firmly believe that's why the Bible says many will stand and say, Lord, Lord, I testified in your name. What do they say? They don't say Savior, Savior. They say, Lord, Lord. But it's too late because the decision to make him Lord has to happen in that red. It has to happen here. And so here's the truth. We want to send you out. But to go out, you got to have a Lord leading. To step into the storm, to the highways and the hedges, you got to have a Lord. And so the question becomes, are you saved? 
not because you want to miss hell and not because it's the thing to do, but because you know that on your own, you cannot control your life. And on your own, you cannot, your efforts, your works, they're futile. You cannot do it. And at some point of your life, you've realized that this storm is big and it is too much and you need somebody else to take you by the hand and lead you back. And if there's repentance or return to God, what a boomerang effect. He created you in his mind and imagination and desires to bring you back to him. And so in that, if you have not made him Lord saying, here's control. In other words, he's Lord, so I live by his standards. He's Lord, so his laws matter. He's Lord, so the Bible, I'm not going to just omit certain parts because it doesn't fit my sin. He's Lord, so if he says yes, I say yes. If he says no, I say no. If he says stay, I stay. If he says go, I go. He's Lord. And if he's Lord, we don't have to ask you if you want a class. You can't wait to tell somebody about the gospel. We don't have to ask you to get excited about heaven because you're going there. We don't have to get you excited about the will of God because you're seeking it. If he's Lord, you're seeking him to be in control of this day, this moment, this minute. Right here, this decision. So bow your heads, close your eyes. I think we start there first. Is he Lord? Now we're not asking about him. We're asking to you. Is he Lord? If you confess with your mouth, the Lord you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's with the mouth. It's with the mouth confessions made known unto salvation. I mean, that's it. My thing is this, if we can't even be bold saying we're a believer in a church, how are we ever gonna be bold about how to believe outside the walls of it? And so here it is. Has he been given the control of your life? And if the answer is no, then salvation is here. He's knocking at the door. You've got your hand on the handle. Do you open or do you keep it shut? And if he's not Lord, say, how do I know if he's Lord? What do your actions reflect? What are you seeking? What's your desires? What's the forefront of your life? Because if he's Lord, you're pursuing kingdom. You're not perfect, but you're pursuing Gideon, they asked him one time, he sits down in the camp, they're chasing an army, and they say, how are you, man? How are you men? And he said, we are faint. We are tired. We are wore out. We are broke. But we are still pursuing. And I'm telling you this now, sometimes a week can leave you depleted. Sometimes a a situation in your family can leave you broken. But if you have Lord of your life, you are not giving up, and you have not failed, because you may be pressed, but you are not crushed. You may be persecuted, but you're not abandoned. You may be knocked down, but you are not destroyed. And Paul says, hey, we're going to make it. Why? Because my, my Lord is settled in my life. So today, we're maybe calling out the church to say, settle your Lord. If you're not someone who has made him ruler, Lord, then right now, cry out. Not to me, not to Chris, but to heaven. Make a declaration. The good thing about a declaration, our declaration of independence was something that hadn't happened yet. But it was a belief that it would happen from that moment. And so in 1776, they they signed a document that sealed their fate. They were now hunted fugitives because they were making a declaration that they were going to pursue freedom no matter what. And in our lives, there's got to be a time to where we make a declaration. Doesn't mean we've achieved it yet, but it means from here, that's where we're going. And at some point, your salvation's not about what you've done. It's all about what he's done and saying right here, right now, I'll make him Lord and I'll go from here. And if you haven't done that beautiful news, you can do it right here. Not in an 
an altar. It doesn't have to be here. Not after repeating a prayer because it's an internal thing. It is a you decision. It has to come from your heart. And it's as simple as looking to heaven, calling out to God and stating the words, just telling him, you're the Lord of my life. I'll pursue you. I give you all. You are who you say you are. And today is my belief day. So help. Get me up. Let's go where you want to go. And if you've never done that, we want to give you an opportunity right here, right now. Is there anybody in the place today that would slip a hand in the air and say, today's the day that I am going to make him Lord. Now, before you do, I'm going to have everybody open your eyes. I'm going to have everybody look around because it's not an ashamed moment. And the Bible says if you're ashamed before men, he's ashamed before the Father. This isn't a private thing. This is a public thing. This is a step out. This isn't a sad thing. This is a joyous thing. This isn't a, I'm worried about what people think. What if they think I'm already saved? Who cares? Don't base your eternity on what somebody might think of you. And don't you dare risk what God has for you, worried about the pride of what everybody else may say. I don't care if you've been pretending to be a believer for the past 30 years of your life. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're doing now are you a child of God and if today's the day you're making him the Lord of your life then throw a hand in the air and say this is my moment anybody got that throw a hand in the air and say I'm accepting him as Lord get it up hold it high don't just flash it I saw a flasher throw it up there all right who else anybody else join that one now can we declare it can anybody in the place today say Jesus is Lord of my life Jesus is Lord of my life anybody else proud of that let's say that again let's say it with some gusto Let's say it with some passion. Let's say it with a, an eyeball straight in the eyes of Satan saying, I'm coming, buddy, because Jesus is Lord of my life. You ain't getting my family. You ain't getting my wife. You ain't getting my kids. You ain't getting my community. You ain't getting our country. You're not getting McGuire Road because we believe it. This is it. Jesus is Lord of my life. So let's ask it again. Can anybody in the place today say that, that Jesus is Lord of my life? Let's hear that. Jesus is Lord of my life. There we go. So if that's true. If he's in control, the number one thing that matters in heaven right now is the unbeliever. Reaching them. And if he's Lord of your life, then the number one thing that should matter to you is reaching an unbeliever this week. I've made a way for you to do that. If you're, and I'm not expecting somebody to go out here and just be, set the world on fire. But if you want to know how, we're going to make an announcement. But if you just want to hand somebody something, when you go out the door today, Libby's going to give you an opportunity to take one. If Listen, if you don't want one, don't take it because I need them to give to other people. It's a simple, old-fashioned track. What they call tracks. It's, I can't say it, so I'm giving it to you to say. But you can say this. You need Jesus. And I wouldn't go to bed tonight without reading this. Got me? And if you want to know more, and if you can't tell them more, you need to pray about why you can't tell them more. Lead them here. Lead them to a Bible-believing, God-fearing, Jesus-loving, teaching church. If your pride stopping you today, from accepting Christ and becoming his child, take one of these and get home and read it. I'm going to pray that he keeps you up all night long until you submit to him and become his child. And I guarantee you, and, and here's what, here's the, the, the big thing about this. When you become a child of God, you are a new creation. 
a new creation. I don't know. Well, I've sinned. I don't know your sin, but God knows your sin and he still wants you. You don't know what I've done. He still wants you to be his child. All you have to do is make him Lord. So on your way out, you'll get one of these. If you don't want them, don't take them. You'll be out here. Libby, Libby's going to be out there handing okay. them out. All right, Libby's out there. Let's, get, let's, let's divide that up, Libby. Find somebody else and have them by this door because yeah. a lot of people exit there too. All right? Mm -hmm. And so just pick somebody. They can be brand new. Just hand it to them. Right there. There you go. Yeah, awesome. All right, listen. Hey, over the past several weeks, we have learned something in our church. Not everybody knows the stories you know about the gospel. Not everybody knows the truths you've been taught. And so the thing is, is it's got to be shared. It's got to be taught. We're not living in the generation where everybody was raised through Sunday school. We're living through the generation where a lot of people are hearing about God for the first time in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And so as we do that, it should become a passion of our church. How many of you are honest with me? Come on, be real. Don't, don't fake this right now. But how many of you would join me in saying that reaching the lost should be the number one thing this church does? Would you slip your hand up? Reaching the lost. Number two, it should be discipling believers. All right. So you say, well, I've been reached. We want to get you in discipleship. So we're going to offer some opportunities. We want you to be there. If you accepted Christ today, we celebrate Jesus in you. And we're thankful for that. If you accepted him online, please pick up the phone and call us and let us know. Somebody will put in the chat the phone number to the church so that you can reach out. But we need a generation of believers that's not selfish. And we in America have become the most selfish generation of believers that have existed. We got to get the gospel out. Okay.